The Friday Reporter launched in March of 2021 as a conversation with today's journalists and has expanded to include newsmakers, lawmakers, image makers, and just about anybody who's in the news or the news adjacent business. The podcast is in partnership with PR Daily and is part of the Big Wig Podcast Network. If you like the show, please hit the subscribe button to make sure you've got ready access to the latest conversation. And if you've got an idea for a great guest, don't forget to send your ideas to Lisa at FridayReporter.com. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. This is our first in-studio podcast, and I'm thrilled to pieces to have my friend Wendy Benjaminson, who is from Bloomberg News, with me today. I, I can't wait to get into this conversation. I'm so pleased to have you in the big wig media me. studios. This is yeah. the first time we've done it, so thanks for, for coming along. Happy to be here. Um, so, Wendy, you have had a great, great background in journalism. So I want us to kind of go through that. I want to talk a little bit about how you got started. I know you spent a lot of time at the AP, mm -hmm. but tell me, go back, let's rewind a little bit and let's talk a little bit about how you got started. Well, I got started mostly because it's sort of part of the family business. In my family, among my brothers and my parents, they were either in public policy or in journalism. And my brother, my oldest brother, who I worship, um, is, is a retired reporter. His wife, who he's a little older than I am, so he got married when I was in, a junior in high school, and she was one of the first women correspondents in Vietnam during the war. Wow, really? And so, of course, I worshipped her and decided that maybe this... And my mother wanted to be a journalist but had kids and was from the era where once you have kids, you don't... You don't uh, work anymore. Sure, sure. So that was always in the DNA of the family. And then I went to University of Maryland, and it was this sort of magical year where everyone on the Diamondback staff that year went on to successful um, either journalism or entertainment careers. And we were led by David Simon, the author huh. who did Homicide and The Wire and yes. all that. He went on. He was clearly the most successful of Absolutely. any of us. But he was our editor-in-chief. Wow. So you can imagine what the environment was like yeah. in college. And then it turned out our faculty advisor was the White House correspondent for UPI. Okay. So when I joined UPI right after college, it, they called us the Maryland Mafia okay. because there were so many of us from the same college How newspaper fun, starting out at UPI. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And then it just, it just sort of snowballed because... It is so much fun to be a part of history. Mm -hmm. And I was reminded of that this week because yesterday, as Kevin McCarthy was being voted out as Speaker of the House, uh, yesterday, I should say uh, October 3rd, um, so many of the young reporters were coming up to us at the desk and saying, this is history, right? This is a historic day. Yeah. And the idea that you are part of history, that you are writing the first draft of history, is what makes journalism so much fun. I love that so much. And I think that that's true, not only for journalism, but also for those people that are working on Capitol Hill, that are working in yes. these offices. I mean, sometimes you have to remind yourself that it isn't just a job, that it's really a bigger part of the world, right? And it's right. such a big moment. Yesterday the was such a big of moment. The downside of that is that that makes us all kind of arrogant, but. I know, <laughs> I, and that, you know, we're the, we're the Washington elite, right? right. So yeah, that's where we are. But I will say that I have often said to people, the first day I go inside the White House gates and I don't think it's cool that I'm walking into the White House, 
it's time to leave town. Yes. Right? That's when you must be so jaded and so done with it, it's over. But it's 40 years, and I... Wow. If I walk past those White House gates, I'm still getting a little I chill. Know. Or a little bit of a goosebump when you right. see the dome lit up at exactly. night, right? You just take a moment and you think, I can't believe I work here. I right? work here. Yeah. yeah. And it's really, it's really great. So UPI to start, but then for a long time with, with, with the with AP, AP right. right? Which, of course, when, they're, when both of them were active, they were you know, mortal enemies. Absolutely, um, yeah. But frankly, UPI, which barely exists anymore, I think there's one or two radio stations that have UPI, we, we, it was at the point where we were cashing our paychecks in the liquor store on the ground level of the building, <laughs> right <laughs> oh near where we are now at 14th and I. Yeah. And then the payroll bounced for UPI, and the liquor store was left with a pile of empty checks. And the owner came up enraged. Okay. And it was about that time I thought, yeah, I ought to look for time a job for another somewhere else. else. <laughs> but you know, that's so, it's so interesting to hear that. And you've obviously, you've been at this for a while. So you've it. watched the evolution of journalism, how it's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll continue to change, right? Because it'll, it'll evolve and it'll move in a way that people, right now people's, the news that they cover is so curated. It's precisely what they want to hear, right? Uh, but that's not true where you are today. Bloomberg right. does a really good job, I think, of threading the needle Thank and you. providing a great point of view, both sides, but also very much uh, the drama is really low at Bloomberg, and I appreciate yes. that so much. And I think a lot of people that are consuming what you guys are doing there every day also really appreciate that. Is that also true in the newsroom, or is it just yes, from the outside it looking is. in? It's one of the low drama, most low-drama newsrooms I've ever worked in. You know, no one's screaming and yelling. And, no one's, of course, that's, that's more true across newsrooms now than it was when I sure. started, where mm-hmm. there was a lot of drinking and smoking and swearing. <laughs> the whole and, world has changed Yeah, since the whole we world has changed, and, and largely for the better. But it is a very low-drama newsroom, and we are committed to the idea that we will be fair and objective. Does this mean that we do whataboutism? No, we don't. We, you know, we cover the things that Donald Trump says that are, that are action. Mm-hmm. We do not cover, oh my gosh, he said what? Mm-hmm. Because we just don't feel that that really serves the reader anymore. Sure. Um, we all know his personality. We all know the sort of things he says. And we also know that many of our paying clients, the people who buy the Bloomberg Terminal, are Trump supporters. Sure. As many as there are other, you know, people who support other politicians. And so we really try to provide the news without fear or favor. And that's one of the things I really like about it. Talk to me a little bit about the way that the newsroom is broken up, because I know there are a couple of silos, as much as they're really sort of blurred, um, mm-hmm. but there is a BGov and there is a, will you explain that to me sure. a little bit? So for people who've been around Washington for a while, BGov, Bloomberg Government, is a, I don't, I think it's a subsidiary. I'm not sure how the corporate structure yeah, works sure. exactly. But it used to be the Bureau of National Affairs, mm-hmm. which puts out newsletters for different kinds of industries and towns. So for lobbyists of different special interests, they could find out the real nitty gritty of what's going on sure. on Capitol Hill. For example, our Congress team today is pretty much a one story team. They are covering the Kevin McCarthy, Alistair, the speaker fight, sure. and the future of Ukraine funding, but that's sort of all one story. Today, also, the nominee to be the FAA administrator 
is having his confirmation hearing, and BGov is covering that mm -hmm. because they know there are aviation industry people here in town and around the country and the world who are very interested in that. We don't have time to do the sort of the specialized coverage today, so mm -hmm. we try to take the big picture. But so they have Bloomberg Law, which covers the legal industry, obviously, Bloomberg Government, which covers all the federal agencies, and then there's the Bloomberg Industry Group, which covers uh, industries um, around the country. So that's, that's one avenue. But then within Bloomberg, there are 2,700 journalists around the world mm -hmm. in every country, in every major city, and we cover government and economics, but even government just through an economic lens because we are first and foremost a financial data company. Sure. So. And in your specific role, tell me, tell me how, how that looks. Like how many people work under Wendy? Because oh. it's, it's executive editor, is that right? No, no. no I wish. I was, I'm a senior editor. Okay, senior, senior yeah. editor, right. Sorry. So senior, senior I promo editor. I promoted I like you. Thank I promoted you. you. <laughs> major, major. Senior. Um, but no, I am, uh, there is the bureau chief, Peggy Collins, okay. the executive editor, Mike Shepard, and right. then me. Okay. Um, although there are other senior editors who do different things. But mm -hmm. basically, I think of myself as the chief of the boat. I am not an executive, but I am in the management structure. Sure. So everyone who has a problem that they don't want to go to the boss about, they come to me okay. <laughs> to tell me about it, and I try to fix it. Sure. Um, I'm part of the quality control of every story that goes out. We Got look it. at major stories and, and make sure that they are to Bloomberg standards, that they're written well, that there's no reporting holes in them and that sort of thing. And then my sort of main task is to make sure that Bloomberg stories are covered on as many platforms as possible. Okay. So we go to Iowa to see Donald Trump. We need to bring a camera. We need to make sure we have a TV uh, package. Interesting. We need to make sure there's a, a social video that can go out on Twitter. Sure. Um, there's Bloomberg Originals documentaries. We have podcasts. I mean, we're um, on just about every platform. Yes. So when we have big stories, I try to make sure that it, that All of the elements goes are across. Considered. Yeah. So what I've come to, so when I first started the podcast, I started it because for a variety of reasons, and I've explained some of this to you. And some of it was that I felt like journalists, in particular, were really getting dragged through the mud, and I felt felt like that was really un, unfair. These are people that I had worked with for the last twenty five years, and they work. We all have a job to do. But the other piece of this was that I was finding that while you know five or seven years ago it was very easy to pitch a story if as long as I had all the facts together and I had all the information we could really get it to land that the 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 bar to pitch and land a story has gotten so much higher to get over but the other thing that I learned is that journalists not only have an incoming of hundreds of pitches every single day, yes. they then also have to come to someone like you <laughs> to pitch their story yes. that they like. Right. Talk to me a little bit about that. Like, What kinds of things, you don't have to tell me how the, how the sausage is made, but help me understand a little bit about how that's, that process works. Well, sure. Well, we um, a lot of times reporters are assigned stories that they're ones that Peggy, Mike, and I might come up with, or we want to have a question answered. Or our news desk in New York, um, for example, today said, wait a minute, people are saying Donald Trump could be Speaker of the House. Please explain that to our readers. So we did that. At the moment, he cannot be because of the criminal indictments, mm -hmm. but he can be president. Um, but the, um, so sometimes it works that way. Sometimes, yes, a reporter will come and there is a sort of memo they have to fill out that explains the story, explains what the reporting would entail, whether they have to travel, about how long it would take, and what is the point they want to make. 
And um, then there's a conversation with us, and we decide whether it's whether it's a good idea. We very rarely say no to a to a decent idea. Sure, um, it's only if that person is desperately needed somewhere else. And at Bloomberg, we're lucky enough to uh, to have enough people that we can send someone to California to do sure. a story about politics. Sure. But it's it's also become so difficult to to identify sourcing and information in general because the 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 way I like to say it is that what was once fake news is now considered real news in the eyes of some, mm-hmm. and what was once considered to be f- real news is now targeted as fake. Exactly. Set all of that aside. Mm-hmm. We don't have to talk about right. that because that's just <laughs> yucky. Uh, but I want to know a little bit about, for you, what it's like you have, you're here in Washington, mm-hmm. and Washington talks differently than New York does. Yes. And those two, and I've heard this from others, um, sometimes don't necessarily uh, see the same point of view. How do, you, how do you get that to work from the Washington Bureau to the New York Bureau? Is there a little bit of cooperation? There must be. Yes, there's cooperation. There's a little tugging, tug of war. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes tie goes to the top person in sure, the conversation. Of but um, it is, it's so funny because everywhere I've worked that has a New York headquarters, there is a sometimes tense relationship between Washington and New York. Mm-hmm. And it's always just referred to as New York. So I've worked in maybe six or seven different news organizations in Washington, and every time it's, oh, New York. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Um. (laughs) No, I've heard this from so many. I've had stories killed, stories that I thought were real stories, Journalists loved it. Washington Bureau loved it. New York killed it. New York and I thought, killed it. Here we go yeah. with New York. Well, New York is is the headquarters and is usually you know has the top editors and the people sure. who need to see the whole broad picture. Mm-hmm. And while we are here in Washington and our reporters come from all different news organizations in their past or just starting out, um, and they think they want to cover the campaign, for example, the same way Politico does or the Washington Post or even the New York Times. The difference is our audience is different. Yes. Our web yes. audience is the same, mm-hmm. but our pay the people who pay for that Bloomberg terminal. Who, if your listeners don't know what one looks like, watch Billions every week because every <laughs> the Bloomberg terminals are all over those sets. Sure. Um, but the um, but the terminal clients are are largely traders, people who are you know want to make money mm-hmm. off. The news, yes, and we are, and the economy is literally their bread and butter. Mm-hmm. So, for example, this year we are really going to focus our political coverage through an economic lens, and it is the top issue. Yes, but whether, while sure today we're doing a story about 
Patrick McHenry taking away Nancy Pelosi's little hideaway from when she was Speaker. She had a little hideaway office in the Capitol, and mm -hmm. now she doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, that's just so much fun because it's power grabbing and things yes. like that. But we don't do every story Politico does. We didn't really cover, for example, LaFonz Butler being sworn in as um, a senator yesterday just because we wanted to focus on the one big story that we knew our clients wanted, and we knew they could go to the LA Times or Politico or the and AP get and get else. that same story. So. so You've covered a lot of different things, mm -hmm. and I asked you beforehand, before you came in, to share with me a story or two that you're most especially proud of. Well, I think there's, there's a lot because I've been around for a while. I'm sure. But if I had to narrow it down to, to a few, the one at Bloomberg would be the 2020 election when I was the political editor. Um, it was so bizarre. It was a lot less fun than I was hoping it would be because mm -hmm. instead of traveling all over the country and doing these great stories, we were all in attics and basements and backyards and <laughs> playrooms and all of that, um, including Joe Biden. Uh, so that wasn't as much fun, but what a fascinating story. And then, as I said at the beginning, to be a part of history, to be working on January 6, 2021, mm -hmm. and to know that you had colleagues who were in the House and they were hearing gunshots for the first time in their lives. I mean, reporters are brave, but they're not combat trained. No. And it was terrifying. Yes. Um, but that was part of history. But the stories that the big stories that I have run coverage of that really stick with me are one, the Iran nuclear deal between that Obama, President Obama and five other countries made with Iran. Um, I would say I also spent a year and a half uh, covering the U.S.-Mexico border drug war, oh, which wow. was really interesting and very, talk about reporters being in danger. Um, we had what I called the Jewish mother rule, which is you call me when you get to the border, you call me when you cross the border, you call me when you get to point A, you call me when you leave point A, you call me when you get to point B. They were very annoyed, but they were in a war zone, and yes. I wanted to make yes. sure that they and they're were not okay. they're not combat. They're trained. not combat. They're in not, fact, we yeah. did send them to Quantico for combat training, did believe enough, for journalists. Wow. Yeah, and where you learn that the movies are not good advice for how to avoid getting shot. Right. Um, you know, no. The movies really kind of make that look easier. No. But the other one that really left an emotional impact on me was Hurricane Katrina. The 2005 hurricane that devastated New Orleans and Mississippi. Um, that was the first time I wasn't a war correspondent. I haven't done a lot of overseas coverage. And it was the first time I'd seen mass suffering on that scale. Yes. And realizing that the people who were left there were could not come up with $40 to put in their gas tanks and drive north. Mm -hmm. And they were left there. Mm -hmm. And that story was a supreme failure of government mm -hmm. at all levels, to tell people to stay in their homes, to tell people to go to the Superdome, which then was not equipped to handle people there more for than two hours at a time for a game. Um, and then FEMA flying people all over the country and separating families and not knowing where they were going. Um, and then finally, they came to what was then my hometown, Houston, and um, got some relief there. But it was it was an emotionally draining and so satisfying story yeah. to be able to communicate all that. Yeah. I wish if there was not so much else to be covering, I wish <laughs> there was a look back on Katrina yes. to see where those people are today. Right. Because so many of these people were separated, they were moved, they left 
Louisiana. Some went home, but there were so many that, that really were. I was, I was um, on the Hill at the time, and that was, it was a really difficult time to message. It was a difficult time to talk about what was happening because there was no good answer. Right. It was really nothing to be said, and it was a lot of questioning about government and about how they had responded. Right. Um, but, you know, and now today we have the, we had the alert that went across everybody's telephone. Yes. Set everybody <laughs> off. For those who didn't know it was coming, probably was a little bit offsetting. Right. Um, so I think we're trying to get better. I do think that there's, in spite of all of the drama and the nonsense that goes on in government, there also is some very good things that are right. happening too. And I'm sure you see that every day. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. So when you're not reporting on government and you're not, <laughs> uh, which I know is, and all of the other things that are happening, what do you do in your spare time? Well, we have a house in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, oh, which is this it. lovely sort of, it's not an artist colony, but it sort of is. There's only mm -hmm. 650 people in town and 100 art studios and galleries. Wow. So you find everyone there. There was a, a man I met who was a New Orleans jazz musician, and I found out that the drummer from the song, you may not remember this, Lisa, from the 70s, play that funky music. Oh, I do remember it. Thank you. The drummer <laughs> of that song lives in Berkeley Springs. No kidding. Um, you know, and there's so many fascinating people who live there. We have this historic home that were my husband and I, who's my husband's retired, mm -hmm. um, he and I are working on that home, and I go up there from here Fun. every Thursday night. Oh, and as awesome. soon as I'm done with work Friday, we're cooking, we're gardening, we're doing that sort it's of It's so good to, like, reset, too. I mean, it as really much is. as people look into Washington and see how crazy we live our lives, if we stay here all the time and we don't get out, exactly. it, is, it can be a real treadmill of just chaos. And while I thought... At first, I would be coming back to civilization when I return to Washington every Monday morning. I also now realize that I am leaving civilization right. and coming back here yeah. where Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates and all that can be happening. The chaos is yeah. happening. The one thing, I talked to another uh, pollster friend of mine not that long ago, and he talked about, we were talking a little bit about what to expect, what, what do we look forward to um, in terms of what's going to happen over the course of the next year, because you will really be covering the, the presidential and just about everything else that's going on with that. Are there any things that you can share with me about what Bloomberg maybe is thinking about? Because you have already done so much innovating here in the Washington Bureau. You've brought one of your shows from New York back mm -hmm. here into town and, and really made that a really important pillar of, of how you report out about the day. Um, are there any other things that you can share? Or you, can, if you can tell me there's still secrets <laughs> and you can't, but are there any other new things coming well, our really way? really just that our coverage this year really will focus on the economy mm -hmm. and how it's impacting voters. We will be going all over the country um, to Iowa, to New Hampshire. South Carolina is supremely important this time because you have the state senator and the state's former governor both trying to at least be the number two alternative to mm -hmm. Donald Trump. Nikki Haley is doing very well, mm -hmm. by the way. Um, and so I think it's just going to be a fascinating year. And then anything could happen. We have a president who, I mean, a former president, excuse me, who is on trial mm -hmm. while he's campaigning for the primaries. We have a president who's, at least there's an impeachment inquiry going on. It's the, the conditions for this election are off the hook. And so as it progresses and the voters are starting to wrap their minds around it, it'll be just 
fascinating to and see what happens. And a front page for history, and once again. And front page for history, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly well, uh, the final question I always ask mm -hmm. uh, is for a recommendation for a future guest for the well, show. Well, call someone out on the air. You can. All right. <laughs> and there's no, there's no punishment for not participating. But I always oh, ask yeah. for it because you know how this goes. If I called you cold and asked you to do my show, you might say, thank you so much, I'll get back to you. Yeah. But because we know one another this, and yep. have worked about it and you know talked it through, um, it makes it a little more easier and at least you sort of know what you're coming into. Well, the person I would recommend right now is our Congress team leader, Megan Scully. She comes from, uh, I believe, Congressional Quarterly Roll oh, Call nice. okay. um, and came to us as the Congress, deputy Congress team leader. Now she's the Congress team leader. She's having a heck of a week. And, um, <laughs> Last week wasn't a breeze either. Yeah, I no. mean, the government shut down, and then here we go again right. with the loss and of the speaker. I yeah. don't think she's going to not have a heck of a week no. until past Thanksgiving. But um, she knows everything there is to know about Congress, almost as much as you do, I, I bet. I love that. I and love that so you much. two could geek out about Congress <laughs> for a whole show. It is. Oh, I would love that so yeah. much. I would love that so much. Well. Thank you. Thank you so much Thanks for your for time today. This was fun. so fun. Thanks to my friends at Bigwig for hosting us today. Uh, and I will see you again soon. Thank see you. you. Soon. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I love having this show. I love you to be part of it. Thanks again. Thanks to PR Daily for being a partner. And thanks to the folks at Bigwig Podcast for letting us be part of their network. See you soon.